thank you for your word that you have blessed us with so that we would have a record of your goodness towards us in Christ. Help us, God, by the aid of your Holy Spirit today to worship you in spirit and in truth, to glean wonderful things from your word, O oh God. We pray that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and that by your spirit, O oh Lord, we would know what pleases you and the de have the desire to obey all that you have commanded us in it. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. So we are on lesson number six, lesson number six of this course seminar. This course seminar is um, you can trust the word of God. So we're on lesson six. And this is it's do, don't change God's word. Don't change God's word. So last week we went through for those of you who weren't here. We went through lesson five. Does anybody remember what lesson five was about? God's word is complete. God's word is complete, yes. So we talked about how, specifically how <clears throat> the collection of books in the New Testament, how um, they came to be what they are, why we, the six, so the week before that, we talked about the Old Testament about how those books were compiled, and, and we answered the question, why only these 66 books? Why not other books like the books of Thomas and these other so-called gospels? Or we talked about how the New Testament, and we talked about this concept called apostolicity, like how we, how the church recognized, not determined, because the church did not determine the word of God, but how the church recognized which books belonged in the New Testament and which ones didn't. Does anybody remember what those... Okay, let me ask you this. Do you remember, we went through a bunch of Bible verses last week, and do you remember what the common thread that tied all of those New Testament books together were? Eyewitness testimony, right? Eyewitness testimony. So we talked about eyewitness testimony, and then we also talked about the Holy Spirit's role in the the production of the New Testament. Do you remember what we said about that? The Holy Spirit inspired the men's prayer because he brought to their remembrance. Yes. Holy Spirit brought to the remembrance of these eyewitnesses all the things that they, to, to their remembrance, all the things they saw and also the things that Christ taught them. All right? And then we also talked about the, the dates, the, 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 the dates of the letters that all, that all of the New Testament books were completed before 70 A.D., before 70 A.D., with the, there's only one book that there's some debate about that date. Does anybody remember that book? It's the book of Revelation, right? So some, some say 95, somewhere around in the early 90s. There are some people who say it was written before 70 A.D. That's up for debate. Um, but all of the other books of the New Testament was before 70 A.D., were written and completed before 70 A.D., right? And the reason that it was necessary to compile this list was to di distinguish the, because uh, there were false teachers presenting their own writings, and so the church needed to be able to recognize which ones belonged in the New Testament and which one didn't. 
So, so there are some claims that you might hear bouncing around the internet about how that the church, it wasn't until the Council of Nicaea that the Bible got put together. That's a fabrication of the truth. I don't know why that date is such a huge uh, linchpin for so many different um, supposed conspiracies, why that Council of Nicaea, but that Council of Nicaea was talking about the deity of Christ, the, the ter- determination about whether or not which book should go in the New Testament was settled a century before the Council of Nicaea even met. Okay? And then the last thing we talked about was not adding to Scripture that um, we went through some Bible verses about, you know, how we shouldn't add or take away from Scripture. That was in Revelation uh, 22, verses 18 through 19. we'll, We'll be back through that today again also. So, I want to ask you a question. So, for those of you who are new, I know some, we got some people from the new members class in here with us today. So, when we start all these, these uh, course seminars with is a question, and then we try to answer that question throughout the course seminar, right? So, the question you want to write down is this. How do you know whether or not the Book of Mormon is a revelation from God. Okay? And you could fill in the Quran, you could fill in uh, whatever supposed holy book. Okay? How do you know whether or not the Book of Mormon or any other supposed holy book is a revelation from God? So our lesson today, we're going to Last week we talked about how to determine how letters, like the, the letter of Thomas, whether or not it should be in the scripture. Today we're going to talk about more recent supposed revelations from God that people claim. And so there are many religions who claim, many people who claim to be religious, and they say that what we have in the Bible is not enough, and that more revelation needs to come through man from God in order for us to truly understand God. Now, we know that that's not true according to Scripture. The canon is closed. God has spoken, right? So today we'll go through and determine and test the claims of these self-described prophets and determine why they, the things that they speak are not of God, okay? So hopefully by the end of the class, you'll have some biblical discernment to be able to have these conversations with your Mormon friends and Job's witness friends and family and different, and explain why it is we only see the 66 books in the Bible as the word of God. Okay, so we're going to start back in the Old Testament. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And look how, and we're going to look at how God told the Israelites to judge prophets. Okay. So I'm going to start, <clears throat> I know on the handout there, it says uh, 18, 20 through 22, but I'm going to actually start reading at verse 15. Okay, 18, Deuteronomy 18, starting at verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall, li- it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired 
of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word of the, how may we know that the Lord has not spoken? Um, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. He need not, you need not be afraid of him. Okay? So, we're going to do our normal deal here. What's the first thing you're supposed to do when you try to figure out what the Bible is saying? When you interpret. Who's been, who was here last week? Because I know we got a bunch of new people in here. Who was here last week? Who's been here for any of these, this course seminar session? Okay, so we have a specific method of interpretation that we're learning. What is it called? Observation, interpretation, application. Okay, so the very first thing you have to discipline yourself to do is observation. When you do observation, what are you not supposed to be doing? Thinking. Okay? You're supposed to just be reading what the Bible says. Amen? Okay, so who's speaking in this passage? God. Okay, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to Moses. Okay, he's speaking to Moses. So the very first thing you have to resist the earth, this is for the, the people who haven't been here because we got a bunch of people in here for the new members class. You're never supposed to ask the, this question first. What does this have to do with me? That's not the first question that you ask. Okay, that is not the first question that you ask. The first question that you're supposed to ask is, what does it say? Okay, what has God said? What is God intending to say? So God is speaking, God is speaking to Moses. And so in this passage, what identifies a prophet according to this passage? Somebody who speaks on God's behalf, all right? So if a man stands up and says, this is what God has said, or thus saith the Lord, they're claiming to be a prophet, okay? Does that make sense to you? Okay. How are people to know if what this prophet has spoken is actually from God, according to this text? If what they say actually comes to pass, right? Now, in what other name can a prophet speak? In, in this text, in this text, what does it say? Other gods. other gods, okay? 
So he's either speaking for Yahweh or he's speaking for some other God, right? Now, what is prescribed for a prophet who's speaking on his own authority? It's in verse 20, 22. Death. You see that? This is in verse 20. Who speaks in the name of the other God, that prophet shall die. That's what's prescribed for someone who is in fact not speaking. Right? So what's the main point of this passage? Somebody tell me what the main point of this passage is. How to identify a true prophet of God, which is if what they say actually corresponds with reality. That makes sense to you? It's a real simple test, right? So if I stand up and I say, Jesus is coming back in 1986 and he doesn't come back, what am I? Simple, right? This is a really simple test. It's not a lot of mental gymnastics that you have to do here, right? If I stand up and I claim that God, I'm speaking on behalf of God, and I say, Christ is coming back October 11th, 1987, and it doesn't happen, I'm a false prophet. See how simple that is? Right? Now, what does this passage tell us about the Lord? What does this passage tell us about the Lord? He's, God does not lie, right? His prophets... The words that he gives to his prophets are true, right? And he is serious about the words that he gives to, to people who speak on his behalf. Is that, is that a fair assessment, right? That we just gathered all of that information just from looking at the text, right? So are there any other passages that you can speak of, that you can think about, or you remember that say something similar to this? So turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 13. It says, Deuteronomy 13, starting at verse 1, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But the prophet, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So that's another way we tell a false prophet. So now we got two ways to determine whether or not a person is a false prophet. One, the things that they say don't actually come to pass, right? That's Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 13, 
it says, even if the things that they say do come to pass, right? But they're leading you away from the Lord, what's prescribed? Death. He's a false prophet. So, there's, so now we got two different ways to be able to tell. So this is important, right? Because if somebody stands up and supposedly does some so-called miracle, right, or can somehow predict the future, but they lead you, now a lot of people are going to get deceived by that. Supposedly if that happens right? But the other way to tell is if they lead you away from the Lord, right? So it's not just that this prediction comes true, but that they're leading you to Yahweh. Both of those things are required. Amen? Amen. Both of those things are required, okay? Now, also Jeremiah, somebody read to me Jeremiah 23 verses, uh, Jeremiah 23 starting at verse 25 through 34. That's 34. Oh, 34? Yep. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them, and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. Now when, now when this people, or the prophet, or priest, ask you, saying, what is the oracle of the Lord? Then you shall say to them, what oracle? The Lord declares, I shall abandon you. Then as for the prophet or the priest or the people who say, the oracle of the Lord, I shall bring punishment upon that man and his household. So here we have again, right? Prophet, a person claiming to have spoken on behalf of God, if they are leading God's people away from the Lord. They're a false prophet, right? There are 100, so here's what that means for us then, family. That means to some degree, we have to know what the Bible says, right? That, man, that means anytime a man gets in his pulpit or any pulpit and starts preaching, you have a responsibility to determine whether or not what they're saying is in line with the word of God. 
right? That's your responsibility. Pastor Rolo says this all the time. He has given you a mechanism and a way to fire your pastor, right? But what that does is that, put a certain, that puts a certain level of responsibility on, on you to know whether or not the men that, that grace his pulpit, whether or not the things that they say are actually in line with the word of God. Amen? So your, 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 the way that you determine whether or not a, a person is a false prophet is not how nice they are, not if they're telling you the things that you want to hear, not if they agree with all of your predilections or all of your um, predispositions, but whether or not the things that they say are in line with the word of God. Amen? So that, that puts a certain level of responsibility on you to hold our feet to the fire according to the word of God. So what that does is that protects us and that protects you. Amen? Right? So because now we have a, now we have a, a, a standard, we have a canon, we have a rule, and we have a plumb line. Right? And it's the word of God. It's not me. It's not Rolo. It's not Ed. It's not Vladimir. And it's not any of you or your feelings. It's the word of God. Amen? So, that's how you determine whether or not a person is, in fact, a false prophet. Okay? Now, um, <clears throat> so we've asked these questions about the text. So the main idea of this text, or I'm sorry, we're back in Deuteronomy, back in Deuteronomy 18. So you got Deuteronomy 18 is the main text that we're in, 20 and 22, uh, verses 20 through 22. Deuteronomy 13 1 through 5 and Jeremiah 23, 25 through 34 are basically saying a similar message, okay? Just for your notes, if you're taking notes. So based on this passage, we know if a, how we can tell if a prophet is truly speaking on behalf of God. He speaks in the name of God and what they speak actually comes to pass or, it, or is demonstrated to be true. How about if we say it like that? Okay, that the things that they say are demonstrated to be true and in line with the word of God and they, do, and they lead people to the Lord, not away from them. Okay, so the definition of prophecy in this, these texts that we read seems to be a focus on telling of the future, right? Now, let me ask you this question. Is the role of a prophet always to forecast the future? No. Okay, prophets, a prophet's role is to speak the words of God. Sometime, historically, we see in the Bible, sometime that's telling the future. It could be about future judgment. It could be about future, you know, prophecy of the coming Messiah. Other times it could just be a call to repentance, calling people back to the Lord. It could be a forecasting of events. Or it could be providing inf new information to the people of God about God. Okay? That makes sense to you? So in that sense, when we say that the canon is closed, God's not providing that kind of revelation anymore. Does that make sense to you? So, is there anything about the language? So we're in Deuteronomy 18, is there anything about the language in this passage? Any figures of speech? Any... Um, Difficult words that make this passage hard to understand. 
No, it's pretty straightforward, right? And let me ask the question again. Anything we just read in Deuteronomy 18, right? We just read 18, 20 through 22. I'll read it again. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. That pro prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So is there anything in that passage that's difficult to understand? Any figures of speech that you, we, we got to like know biblical Hebrew or anything like that to understand? No, it's pretty straightforward, right? It's pretty straightforward language. Okay. So um, why does God demand such a strict punishment to the person who's a false prophet? Why does he demand such a strict punishment? Ladies first. False, false words will lead people away from God. What were you going to say? That's what, anybody else got it? Okay, yes. So God's word reflects God's character, right? So someone speaks presumptuously on behalf of God. He's speaking against God's character, leading God's people astray, and that's a serious concern, right? God does not lie, right? He cannot lie is what the, what the Bible says. So if you got a man of God who's proclaiming himself to be a prophet, not speak. So when we say... God cannot lie, right? We're not just saying that he doesn't. Yeah, does that make sense to you? We're not just saying that he doesn't lie. What we're saying is, is that every word that proceeds from God is in 100% accord with fact and reality. Does that make sense to you? Are you sure you understand that? So when God speaks, that's what it is. Right. So if you think one thing, the word of God says something else. Who's wrong 100 percent of the time? You all the time. You either don't understand what it's saying, but if there's a conflict, if there's a, a conflict between what you think and believe and what the word of God is actually saying, assuming you understand it. You're wrong. Always. Would anybody care to share uh, an example of when you thought one thing and the word of God said something else and you were right and the word of God was wrong? <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> since God, this offense, this is a serious offense to speak on behalf of God and not speak accurately. Okay. And I, I believe it's 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's go there real quick. 2 Peter chapter 3. It talks about men who mishandle the word of God. I'm deviating a little bit. It's not, this is not on your handouts, but I think it's um, appropriate. 2 Peter chapter 3. says this. <clears throat> um, 
Okay, start at verse 14. 2 Peter 3, 14 says this, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other strict scriptures. So listen, even ignorance is not an excuse. Right? Even ignorance, mishandling the scriptures and ignorance is not an excuse here. Am I seeing that correctly? So, I'm pretty sure your mother taught you this. When you was growing up, sometimes you should just be quiet. <laughs> right? If you don't know, just don't, just say, I don't know. Right? So, but for a man to grace the pulpit, there's a different level of scrutiny than it is other people, right? And he has a responsibility to speak the truth because he's speaking on behalf of God, right? And so our natural disposition is to see a person that's speaking and go, I really like them. Watch them make a hash of the word of God and then give them a pass because they're your friend, son, brother, whatever, but that's not what's going on in this text here, okay? You have a res- men who stand up and speak and claim to be speaking on behalf of God. There's one standard and one standard that they have to meet, and that is what God has revealed. If what they're saying is not consistent with the word of God, they are false prophets, period, period, okay? So back in Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, yeah, so... Since God takes this offense seriously, we should take it just as serious, okay? It is no light matter when someone claims to have some kind of special revelation from God. So now, we, listen, we live in this environment. I know a lot of people who toss this word around all the time. I came from a charismatic background, and you'll hear people say this all the time, okay? I just got a revelation from God. Now, you need to be patient with those people. Okay, because they probably don't mean what Moses meant. Okay, they probably don't mean what Moses meant. You need to be gracious because they're probably just using language very sloppily. Right. What they probably just mean is, is that I know something now that I didn't know before. Okay, and they should be using a word like epiphany, not like revelation. So you need to be patient and you need to listen and determine, is this person saying that that God is actually speaking to them right now and that it's on the same level of scripture? Does that make sense to you? Some of you look confused. So listen to me. There are some people who have been mistaught. Okay, they just been taught bad and they don't know what they're talking about. And if you have the time, you need to explain to them that maybe that's not the word that they want to use right there. Okay, but you need to be gracious and kind because you say stupid stuff and I say stupid stuff all the time. Okay, so just be patient with people 
Because most people that you talk to don't mean that, you know, they're not saying that I'm Moses right now. Okay? So, now, we should clearly understand who is speaking for God and who's not. Okay? Those who make false predictions are clearly 100% false prophets, and those who lead God's people away from the Lord are 100% no questions asked false prophets. Okay? So, the, um, so last week we looked at Revelation 22. Revelation 22, we're going to go back there again. So last week we talked about Revelation 22 regarding, our, regarding the closing of the canon, right? So Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19 says this. I warn everyone. So Revelation 22, verses, starting at verse 18. Okay? says this. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. So who's speaking? Who's speaking? God through the apostle John. Okay. And what two things does this passage prohibit? Adding to this word, taking away from this word. Okay. And what are the two consequences for adding and taking away? You should be looking at the Bible, not at me. Okay. Plagues and, and you're having their name removed from. Okay, so when you do observation, what are you supposed to not be doing? Thinking. You're supposed to just be reading. What does the Bible say here? Okay, so the Bible gives, in this passage, two commands, right? Two things, I'm sorry, two things that are prohibited. Don't take away from the word, this prophecy, don't add, and there's two consequences. So what's the main point of this passage here? Don't take away or add from God's word, right? Now, we have to ask some more questions about this text, so let's look at how we interpret this in light of some modern day um, claims, modern day claims to revelation from God. So who can think of some writings that many people say are on par with these 66 books of scripture? The Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon. Can you think of anything else? The Quran. Anything else? I'm sorry? Book of Enoch. What's that? The Talmud. The Pearl of Great Price. It's another Mormon, uh, some more Mormon literature. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants. That's something else that uh, Mormon Jews claim to be on par with Scripture. And so all of these different groups, all these different people claim that these other books are on par with Scripture. So Muslims believe the Quran is revealed from Allah through Muhammad, Jehovah's Witnesses. They 
um, have this New World Translation of the Bible, Seven Day Adventists. They traditionally uh, held that uh, the prophetic writings of Ellen G. White um, are, you know, on par with Scripture. Now, they're a little tricky, Seven Day Adventists, because a lot, there's a, a vast number of them that are getting more and more um, orthodox, okay? So you shouldn't just automatically straight away dismiss. Uh, first of all, let me rewind a little bit. Nobody, nobody, most, pe- most Baptists don't know what Baptist doctrine is, right? So you should just listen to people and see what they, and speak to them and see what they believe. You know what I'm, do you understand what I'm saying? Am I making sense to you? Okay. So, um, then also Roman Catholics set certain pronouncements from the Pope on par or equivalent with Scripture. And then there are many other cults. You also have, uh, what is it, the Bhagavad Gita? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, there's a bunch of other books. I don't know. I don't study those books. I study the Bible. So, look. It's always easy, I'm sorry, let me say this, let me not say that, that's not true, forgive me. Is it always easy to tell that a prophet, whether or not a prophet is writing from God? Not always. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's really easy. Other times it's not so much. Because you have false prophets who are Christians, who claim to be Christians, right? So they usually, they'll start with something that's true, right? Something that you can hit your boat to and then eventually lead you off the rails. So it's not always easy. The doctrinal differences are often very subtle sometimes with some of these groups, all right? And that's why uh, so many people are drawn to false religion, you know, because some, there are some elements of truth that, um, you know, kind of suck people in. So you, that's why, again, you got to be patient with people sometimes. Okay, you don't just automatically write them off. You, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it and then be able to explain to them why they're mistaken. Does that make sense to you? All right, so, um, so as we discuss these ideas, we need to keep in mind that we're not trying to, to uh, disparage any individual person here, okay? But to directly challenge ideas that run contrary to the teaching of Scripture and what God has revealed his gospel to be. So all of these books are examples of ideas that have added to Scripture or try to add to Scripture or teachings that have minimized or set aside the clear teachings of truth in the Bible. And that's how we mark out false teachers. Okay? If the things that they say are not in line with truth, right? Or they lead God's people astray. That's how you determine if someone is an actually a false teacher. So the Watchtower Society, most of you know them as Jehovah's Witnesses, is a group that has, they basically rewrote the entire Bible, okay? And they translated their own Bible to fit their doctrines, right? And so one of the classic changes comes in John chapter 1, verse 1, where they have changed the text to read, 
in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. Okay, so they started with doctrine. They started with a, with a doctrine and it interpreted the Bible, reinterpreted the Bible to have a, 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 a Bible that fit their doctrine. Now, before you beat up on a Jehovah's Witnesses too bad, most of us do the same thing. Okay? We just don't do it with doctrine. We do it with our feelings or we do it with some other type of thing. So you start with some feeling, you start with some experience, and then you interpret the text. It can't mean what it just said, right? Because my mother fill in the blank. Or my father fill in the blank. And that could be a good experience or that could be a bad one. Does that make sense to you? That's not how you interpret the scriptures. Your experiences, and no matter how real, good, or painful they may have been, are not the arbiter of what is truth the Word of God is. Amen? Yes, ma'am. So, I am thinking about what you said um, about God is not the right book. It's not because I don't believe it, but I'm just positive scenario. When I'm talking to someone who does not believe that the Bible is the word of God, mm -hmm. how do I start by letting them know that their book is wrong? I don't know. Okay, so the question she asked was, if I'm talking to somebody who doesn't believe that the Bible is the word of God, how do I let them know that their book is wrong? I don't know that I would do, I don't know if I, it depends, first of all, if I would necessarily even do that. Okay. Sure. If they're not a believer. Okay, so first of all, I just want to encourage you, you are not going to convince anybody that the Bible is the word of God. Okay? You are not going to ever argue anybody into the kingdom of God. And praise God that you can't do that. Because if you can argue them in, somebody else can argue them out. Okay? So on some level, until the Spirit of God changes the person's heart, they're never going to believe that this is the Word of God. Okay? There's no, I can't give you a magic bullet argument that's going to convince anybody that the Word of God is the Word of God. Okay? Nevertheless, the Bible is very clear about this. That the Bible is the standard of truth and our entire worldview is built upon what God has revealed in Scripture. So when a person who is, is a, not a believer, they're not even, in a, in, a, in a sense, you could say that they're not even living in reality. You have reality and they don't. Okay, you're standing on solid ground. So the first thing, I, I'm going to ask you a question. First thing, do not abandon the Scriptures. First and foremost, do not abandon the scriptures. Okay, that's the first thing. Because Romans 1.16 says the power, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So the first thing that we have to do to answer your question is to be, in fact believe what that text says. That it's in fact the gospel is the thing that's going to change their heart. Not your argument, not how nice you are to them, not, I'm not saying you shouldn't love them, you should absolutely love them, but not even that is going to change their heart. Okay, you absolutely have to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that thing that's going to change their heart. 
and never, under no circumstances, do you abandon it. Do you abandon what God has said? So if you're talking to an unbeliever and they say, I don't believe the Bible, you say, I know. And keep, and keep talking about the Bible and keep quoting scripture, right? But now, now you can respectfully, you should not um, um, disrespectfully um, tell somebody that their holy book is wrong, right? Do it in a way that it, you have to respect them as people and keep that door open so you can talk to them, right? And so there's this word that get tossed around all the time, tolerance, right? But the way people use it now is that tolerance means that everybody's right. That's not really tolerance. Tolerance is, is like, I know you're wrong and I'm still okay to be in the same room with you, right? That's what real tolerance is, okay? So you need to be able to speak to these people and explain to them like, listen, that's not true, here's why. And then that's when you start to do apologetics. But never abandon the, the scriptures. Never let them abandon, never, never, never allow them to talk you into playing on their field. Does that make sense to you? You don't, you should not use words the way they use them. Right? And you should not use language the way that they want to use it. You want to try to stay as biblical as humanly possible because only the gospel is going to change their heart and cause them to believe that this is, in fact, the word of God. Okay, so we're going to get into some more specifics here as we go along, okay? All right, so Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, he also revised the Bibles. He, he rewrote many sections to, prevent, to pervert, um, to fit his perverted doctrine. And then he also had these other books that he added to scripture. So in Mormonism, just like most other cults, um, additional, they add additional revelation is usually through some charismatic leader. Okay, so the Quran was recorded by scribes after they heard the teachings of Muhammad. Muhammad allegedly received these messages from, an, from the angel Gabriel, who was supposedly delivering the very words of Allah. And so we must understand that the Quran was written, it was written in the seventh century as an attempt to add additional written revelation from a man who was claiming to be a prophet, okay? So any teacher who suggests that what is contained in the Bible is not enough or needs to be corrected by additional revelation is a false prophet. Does that make sense to you? Okay, the Bible is sufficient for all things regarding faith and practice. You don't need additional revelation to know how you can be justified before God. Amen. Okay, so. Grab your handouts. Go to the third page, please. I want you to look at this. So these are only, we only grab these three major religions because, you know, they're big major religions. So, <clears throat> like we went through that in Titus chapter one, verses two, God cannot lie. God is incapable of lying. 
We've established that the Holy Spirit inspired the written text of Scripture, and, and he also inspired the words that were spoken by God's prophets. And finally, we've seen that we saw last week that the canon is closed. Okay, so if, a prof, if the prophet spoke the very words of God and God cannot lie, then the words of the prophet must be true words if they are actually a prophet of God. Okay? The prophets cannot lie. No prophet can, listen to me, can be wrong or utter a lie when they're under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense to you? They cannot be wrong and they cannot lie when they're under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to respectfully disagree with a man that I respect greatly, Wayne Grudem and his systematic theology. I think he's wrong here. Okay, he, he, they talk about um, that a person can get prophecies wrong. I just, I just don't agree with that. Now, I'm not saying he's not a brother. Okay, I just disagree with him at this point. Okay, now, when a man is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he cannot be wrong and he cannot lie. Okay, now, this, so this gives us the third way to test the truthfulness of the claims of a modern day prophet. If anything that that prophet says contradicts the Bible, then that prophet cannot be speaking on behalf of God. Does that make sense to you? So if a man stands up and says, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord, thus saith the Lord, blah, 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 blah. How do you know if that's true or not? Let me see. Right? So that's what you're getting ready to do right now. Read on your hand out there. Right? We have passage of scripture and then we have what Islam says about that particular subject okay so what I want you to do is take actually we're only going to do one because for the sake of time so we'll just do the first one Galatians we'll do Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 9 and then the one on Islam and then I'm going to give you like three minutes so read that, and then there's, two, there's, a question, there's three questions. How does the opening statement of this passage compare to Col Colossians 2, 18, 2, 8 through 10? Is this a different Christ, and is Muhammad a true prophet of God? Okay? All right, I'm going to give you one more minute.
Okay, who wants to share? How does the opening statement of this passage compare to Colossians 2, 8 through 10? So the opening statement talks about Islam. Islam draws its doctrine from the saying of Muhammad, who supposedly received messages from the angel Gabriel, as recorded in the Quran. The Quran mentions, the Quran mentions that Jesus is a prophet, okay? But the following is one, pa one passage that reveals the Muslim's view of who Christ is. That's right. Right. So the Quran, the quote, this quote from the Quran calls it blasphemy to believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is deity, while the passage in Colossians in actually affirms. Now, which one was written first? No, no, no. No, this is serious. Historically, which one of these letters was written first? Colossians, right? So what you have is a man who comes along later, six centuries later, and, and supposedly speaks on behalf of God, and he says something that contradicts the Bible, right? Both of those can't be right. Do you understand? They can't be right. Somebody has to be wrong, right? Now, you have every right to be as wrong as you want to be, okay? But that doesn't make it true. Okay. Both of these, when two things, this is the law of non-contradiction. Both of these things can't be true. One of us has to be wrong. Right? So he comes along later after the Bible has already been, canon re revelation has already been closed, claims to have additional revelation that contradicts the first revelation. Now, according to Deuteronomy, what am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do to that? Do with that revelation? According to Deuteronomy, all the passages that we read in Deuteronomy, what am I supposed to do with this supposed revelation? I'm supposed to reject it. Why? Right. It's drawing me away from what God has revealed about Himself in the Bible. Yes, ma'am. That's right. Right, she says, so what she said was that when it comes to the law of non-contradiction, both could be wrong, but both can't be right, okay? One could be right, one could be wrong, both could be wrong, but they can't both be right. Yes, sir? No, I'm spe surely speaking about what the Bible is. We're talking about addition, what people who claim that, come later after the canon is closed and compiled to have supposed additional revelation after that. We're supposed to judge that against scripture to determine if it's true or not. Okay, so you need to go home. You got homework. You need to do this. Okay. So the three tests to, di to discern God's word is, it's right here at the, on this page that says the different gospel. Bottom right-hand corner, I'm going to give you these answers. Do they make false predictions? 
Do they make false predictions? No, no, no. This is, you're not answering these questions. I'm just giving you the answers. Okay? These are, this is the test to discern whether or not something is actual prophecy or not. Does it make false predictions? Or is it in accord with reality? Okay? That's the first one. Everybody got that? False predictions? Do they make false predictions? And is it in accord with reality? Okay, the second test, does it add or take away from the 66 books of the Bible? Okay, does it add or take away from the 66 books of the Bible? And does it make statements, this is the third and final one, does it make statements that contradict what is written in Scripture? Okay. The reason why, so this is why this is so important is because we need to guard against being influenced by language that sounds biblical, right, but carries different definitions and is backloaded with different meanings. So you need to ask a lot of questions. What do these people mean when they say that? When your Mormon friends and your Jehovah Witnesses friends say grace, what do they mean when they say that? Right? Just because I'm using the same words as you, all the married people know this. Okay? Just because you and your wife are using the same words, y'all probably may not be meaning the same thing. Amen, men. Yeah, y'all don't, okay, you, you're being good. You're being wise right now. Listen, you need to determine and make sure that the words that you're using that you mean the same thing. Don't assume that your Mormon friends, your Jehovah Witnesses friends, just because they're using those same words, mean the same things as you. So what that means for you, this is a lot of responsibility for you. You have to know what you believe, you have to know why you believe it, and you need to be able to explain and articulate these things, amen? So I'm gonna answer your question more next week, okay? As this thing goes further and further. So I'm answering her question about how you're supposed to talk to people who, so the first thing you want to do is know what you believe and why, okay? So you need to have a firm grip on your own faith and what you believe before you can start trying to really get deep into these kind of conversations, okay? So let's go. We're out of time now. I'm sorry. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.